Welcome to The Deal With Yield, your podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. I'm John Zook, agronomist for Winfield United. Today on the show, we have a returning guest, Jason Weller. Jason was with us last time via phone. Today, he is in the studio. Jason is a senior director of sustainability at Lando Lakes and has been an integral part of developing the TrueTerra Insights engine. So today, Jason and I will be talking about sustainability and specifically trying to hone in on the soil health concept. John, fantastic to be here. Thank you so much for hosting me, and I'm really excited to be in studio with you. So, Jason, it's a it's a new year. It's 2020. We're sitting here today thinking about the crop going in. In some places, it's, it's started and been in already. Mm-hmm. So we're starting fresh, right? Before we really dive into soil health, let's kind of balance everything out. And we hear so much about sustainability mm-hmm. and the buzzword and, and what it really means to be sustainable from a, hey, on my farm standpoint, claiming sustainability and how do I prove that? Can you talk to us in the audience a little bit about what that means in this day of age, agriculture, specifically related to grower status? So I spent many years in Washington, D.C., working for USDA and different parts of the government. And it was really apparent to me that in this topic of agricultural conservation and ag sustainability, if agriculture is not leading the conversation, is not leaning in and providing leadership, others will define for us what it means to be sustainable, what it means to be productive. And that is why I ultimately joined Land Lakes as a farmer co-op and as a cooperative of cooperatives, where the interest at the heart of our company and our cooperative is the interest of the family farm. And I really want to be part of a team and as a cooperative system that wanted to ensure the farmer's voice was in the conversation, but beyond conversation, actually showing on the ground action. And so for me, ag sustainability is a two-part test. It is first and foremost about economic success. Mm-hmm. If you're not economically successful and profitable as a producer, that is not by definition sustainable. So you then have to come up with the right mix of agronomy and conservation practices that ensure that family farming's operation success. But then this is the second test is that, that success needs to be enduring, not just this coming crop year. You're trying to think 5, 10, 20 years into the future. And then to ensure that success, how do you invest in the management, in the practices, and the results that ensure the long-term productive capacity of your soils, your water, and ultimately ensuring that your operation um, is maintaining the viability of your production system. So that for us is a two-part test, economics and environment. Yeah, I think that really boils it down and sums it up nice. Hey, first off, got to make money. You got to farm next year. But Mm. since you're farming next year, how are you going to know that you can still get the crop, still facilitate, still have the soil, everything intact to be able to get that crop from the next year and years forward. So I think that, yeah, that that is really nice way of, of boiling down sustainability and putting your thumb on it. And for too many, I think in the ag sustainability conversation, they forget that first test and they want to prescribe a system or a technology or a product or practice that is quote unquote sustainable. But in the end, if, if that practice is not penciling out for the farm or is not addressing 
that farm's return on its investment or understanding that particularly these days um, the bottom line is really pinched and is tight. How do we ensure that we're meeting the producer and their business operation where they're at and understanding their business objectives? And then with that, you're weaving in ag technology or additional practices and products that will help ensure even more economic success or maintain it at a minimum, but then also start to address um, soil, soil performance, nutrient optimization, hopefully reducing nutrient loss, the things that ultimately ladder up to broader environmental quality, environmental good. But uh, too many have a checklist approach where they want to define sustainability and if they don't find all the practices on their checklist on your farm, then you're not sustainable. And that is, to me, um, a huge miss and a misnomer. And so I've said this before, and in so many ways it's applicable, but how do you expect to manage something if if you can't measure it? Mm. And so you go, oh, geez, uh, how do I, I mean – economics of the farm is is one thing, right? We know. But then the soil health aspect. And and I think that's where, when you think of sustainability, that's kind of that that second tier, what you said is, uh, how are the farming practices going to continue that that economic status for years going forward? And how do you really measure or manage something like that? So we've taken a run at that. Um, So at the outset, you introduced the concept of our TruTerra Insights Engine. Mm-hmm. So this is our contribution to the conversation. And it's a tool that allows the farmer to get uh, x-ray vision into what's happening, not just on their crop fertility, but what's happening in their soils, what's happening in their operation. It benchmarks their level of stewardship. And let me pause on that word. That's intentional. To me, stewardship is a combination of your field operations and agronomic practices, as well as maybe some more traditional conservation practices that USDA would recognize, things like waterways or contour farming or um, terracing, field borders. But it's the combination of those two working together and understanding what the inherent risks are in your field. So we will come out and, and our technology will benchmark your field's inherent risks of leaching, runoff, wind erosion. And before you touch your field with an implement or a seed, give you an understanding of your risk profile for when you apply a nutrient or you uh, get out there and, and, and cultivate the field, what's your risk then of impacting your most valuable resource, which is your soil? And then from there, we can help you understand at a subfield scale uh, risks for erosion, risks for uh, leaching and runoff and nitrogen use efficiency, as well as your carbon trend. So carbon is one of the key ingredients for soil performance and function. And so ultimately, we give the producer a way to visualize and understand where each field is at on their operation, and then it becomes a sandbox. You can plug and play different practices and techniques on that field and and understand what's the impact on erosion or soil carbon trend or nutrient use efficiency. And from there, we can lead into an economics conversation and understand your field performance on profitability, not just at a field scale, but a subfield scale. So you start to manage your field more like a business. Mm -hmm. So where your field's profitable, double down on profit, where it's borderline, what's the tweaks or additional management you can apply to turn that around in a profit center. But there may be portions of your field where no matter what you do, it browns out every summer, it washes out or it drowns out. So that's an opportunity then to think about different uses for that corner of the field, that portion of the field. And invariably, that's where you have erosion occurring. That's where you have leaching occurring. That's where you have runoff occurring. 
So let's then think of a different way to put your working capital to work and, and put that working capital elsewhere in your operation or in that field to return a better re, uh, profit for your farm. But then what are some other management systems you can put in those portions of the field that will reduce risks to the environment but also help protect your bottom line? So that's the – our going in proposition is it's a powerful tool, the True Terra Insights Engine, to help farmers understand and, and, and grade and benchmark their stewardship and then give them – uh, the tools to plug and play and figure out what are some tweaks they can make on the field and overall to enhance their profitability and uh, sustainability across their operation. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, from a grower perspective, I go, well, stewardship, that it feels so bulky. Like, mm. just what do you do with it? Uh, how do you get to a point where you can say, geez, when you start mentioning waterways, ditches, tillage practices, and then factors of soil health and and extractable uh, car, you know, extractable organic carbon. To, all that stuff is just like, okay, good. I, I got the number one thing down for sustainability economics, but now I got to go to number two, and that involves the stewardship piece, and that's way too bulky. How do I, as a grower, mm-hmm. how do I ever get to the point of managing that. And and so what I yeah. like to look at the True Terra Insights Engine kind of allows those pieces to come together mm-hmm. and, and not create this bulky spot in your notebook or in your mind. Mm-hmm. It, it lets you put them on paper, standardize that process a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's flexed to the, to the situation, mm-hmm. but the comparison is probably the biggest. So then you can start to measure it, right? And it's not this bulky like conversation about little parts of the field or, or this or that. It's put together in one big piece. Uh, it sounds like you're already a member of the True Terra team, John. I love it. <laughs> well, so so I spent the last couple of days, we actually uh, were talking to the True Terra team and mm-hmm. I started to formulate a little bit of, you know, how is this really truly going to be applicable to, to growers and, and, and retailers, mm-hmm. cust- other customers for that matter, mm-hmm. because everybody's after this conversation of sustainability. I don't, it's not just at the grower level, it's truly at the consumer. I mean, all the way down to the consumer level. Right. So how would downstream and upstream, how, how can that be affected or how does that apply? There's a lot there to unpack. So let me try and, and, and take it piece by piece. So downstream, so how we started our conversation, if we're not defining sustainability, as I said, others will. So the food industry but also it's not just the food value chain. It's also the energy in- industry, that those are using um, bio-based products to generate fuel. Uh, fiber industry, particularly around cotton. Um, they're all really looking to try and define sustainability for their products. And they're looking for help, in part because there's a really significant shift occurring among consumers, among the, the general public, and concern about environmental quality. It could be water quality. It could be weather variability. Um, there's a host of issues that consumers uh, across generations are increasingly interested in and want to do something about. And they are interested in where their food is produced and also how their food and grain and, and fiber is produced. So it's no accident these food companies are trying to position their companies, if not their products, to be part of the solution. The challenge is these companies are not experts at farming. Mm-hmm. They are far removed from the farm. And the miss, uh, in, in my view, in this industry is that the food companies, that whole supply chain are trying to define sustainability, but not necessarily with uh, familiarity of farming, of agriculture, of agronomics. And they don't necessarily have the farmer's interest in mind. So we've, we're trying to flip that around. Let's start yeah. with the grower first. Let's give the a tool set 
and, and match that with the agronomic expertise of ag retailers and their crop consultants and advisors, and together uh, start with the producer and understand what the, what are the opportunities on the farm and not bring in that bulky conversation. So we'll get to this during the conversation around soil health. That is a huge beach. It's a wide waterfront. Mm-hmm. Where do you start if you're managing 10, 20, 50 fields, multiple operations? Where do you begin on that journey? That's It's kind of very gray. And so we try and provide a flexible tool, and it, the tool will then benchmark all the fields in your operation and give you a sense, well, maybe out of the 40 fields you're managing, there may be four or five that really kind of need your attention today for it could be due to erosion or a low nitrogen use efficiency. Let's focus there, and let's start with your limited management time, your limited dollar, limited time with your advisor. Maybe that's where you can have the biggest return on investment, both of your management time and also your investment dollars. And you can have the biggest swing then on both profitability, but also environmental benefit. And then it's it's a slow adoption of the practices that best fit your farm and your operation. So it's not a mandate coming down the supply chain to the farm. Instead, it's giving the toolbox to the grower. And now that toolbox, finding the one or two practices they may want to try and it could be focusing just on crop fertility and, and nutrient management. Let's Yes, let's get that right. Or it could be advancing into uh, more uh, higher levels of residue management and um, reduced tillage mm-hmm. intensity. Great, let's do that. It is not a opening the Bombay doors and just dropping everything onto the field and hoping something happens. It's, it's taking it year by year, season over season, and matching what the producer's goals are uh, with also what those fields need. And that's our approach. So I think we're going to have to dive off the cliff into soil health eventually. Mm -hmm. Um, So I want to make one last point before we do that, because I feel like a lot of times the the growers get to a point uh, to where they go, well, who's, where's the... Where's the financial here? Who's mm-hmm. making money off of this, or or is it is it the grower? Is it the and where is this coming from? And so what I what I like to kind of put it into perspective a little bit is having the score or using True Terra Insights Engine allows the growers to come together and provide information to the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think this is the coming together of we originally started the conversation with the, the grower trying to say, hey, I, can I manage these farms? Can I put these things together to have my own sustainability? But you're not strong just by doing that. It's about having the neighbors, having the data so you can measure against each other in the metrics to say as a group, as a whole, as the United States farming community, we are changing and getting better. And that's truly at the end of the day, the consumers, they're asking for that. We're asking for that of how do we make sure that we are truly moving in that direction? Agree? Anything more to add there? Uh, I feel like I have four more episodes worth of stuff to add there. Yep. So I'm going to try and keep it reined in here, John. Um, to your question on what's in it for the producer, we're working really hard to have it beyond just, well, you know, add a boy, here's a mm-hmm. pat on the back. Um, there's not yet a premium that, that companies are paying for, but that's one of the things we're trying to solve for. Can we actually create a s- supply chain solution where if a producer – uh, has the sustainability metrics and has beyond just number two corn can talk about and have the data to back up how that corn was produced and in terms of its environmental benefit. We're talking to partners right now about creating that kind of supply chain capability that would then allow for downstream companies to source not just number two corn, but number two corn was grown in a way that was protecting water quality. Mm-hmm. So we're working on that. 
there's the emerging issue around soul carbon and carbon credits, which we'll maybe get to later in the episode. We're working very hard on that. Seemingly every day there's another multinational corporation that is pledging to become carbon neutral or net negative carbon emissions by a certain date. Um, the latest is Delta Airlines, uh, JetBlue, Microsoft, I mean, uh, Target. Mm-hmm. They all have significant greenhouse gas and carbon reduction goals. They weren't very clear how they're going to achieve that. And I think there's a lot there to talk about how uh, American farmers can be uh, contribute to and benefit from those kind of marketplaces. But beyond that, it's also helping tell the story and engaging growers and giving them the tools to really demonstrate their level of conservation and stewardship. So I've heard from farmers that have been in the True Terra Insights engine, they're ecstatic because the results they get out of this, they can then go talk to their landlord in a different way. It's not just cash price or cash rent. They can now talk about what a good steward and what a good manager they are of their landlord's asset. Or they can go compete for ground better because now they have they can show how well they're farming other land when they go in and, and compete it's not just on price it's now actually on stewardship and management um, so there's a inherent value there but it's beyond that it's also across with our retailers we're telling the, the power of the agricultural retailers and their level of stewardship on how they're driving contributions in watersheds and in communities and across the corn belt um, in the chesapeake bay region how they're helping farmers advance soil quality and water quality in important um, areas that the broader community and the public are concerned about in terms of the health of the Chesapeake Bay and the, the quality of water in the Wabash River or the Ohio River. So we're able to show leadership and show how we're contributing to results and not just um, you know, having broad saying, yes, we're doing a lot of great stuff. Our growers and who are in the, the, the True Terra system have the actual data and the results to, to be proud and to demonstrate their contributions to on-the-ground solutions. So, great. Are you ready to jump off the cliff let's, and let's cannonball into this thing? Let's do it. i waiting all day. Okay. Let's go. So, uh, we know soil is the farmer's most valuable resource. And, and I guess this is how I frame it up. Uh, you might have a different way, but I start thinking about soil and, and agronomy and putting those two together. And pretty soon it comes to the point where, hey, we're not putting fertility down for the plant, right? The crop. We're putting it really down for the soil. And then the soil feeds that back to the plant. And some of the kind of fun facts or metrics that I remember to help it put perspective into my mind is if I take a cupful or a handful of soil um, and I just look at just fungi and bacteria in that small fraction, that cupful or that grab that handful of soil and you go, what's in there? Um, some of the speculations, there's there's maybe 500 different species of fungi, um, and the fungi produce hyphae that go through the soil and create a network or a web. This is particularly important for phosphorus movement to that plant. And those hyphae in that handful of soil, out of all those fungi, is equivalent to about 30 miles worth of network. Just in, in your hand, it will fit. Um, so I've, that's just, for me, it kind of goes, wow, there's a lot going on there. The bacteria piece, if we look at how many bacteria would be in a handful of soil, um, there's there's somewhere like maybe over 10,000 different bacteria species with the equivalent to 10 to 100 billion um, actual population. So more than the world, um, sometimes 10 times more than the world as far as the population of bacteria that you can physically fit in your hand. Okay, so kind of puts it a little bit out of this world, but into perspective, 
what are some things that threaten the productivity and the potential of um, of the soil and how are we working or what can be done to protect that productivity or soil health? John, I'm really inspired right now. And you got that look in your eye, man. You got the passion. It's like a little, uh, I see the light and the sparks. It's good to see. <laughs> uh, yes is the uh, answer here. So looking back, and, and, and again, my old employer at USDA um, was originally the, the world's first soil health service. Uh, it was a soil conservation service. It was created in the Dust Bowl back in the 1930s. Today, it's the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And for most of that time, up until probably about 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, the focus of NRCS, SCS, but also agriculture was on the physical and chemical properties of the soil. And we kind of forgot that it's actually a living ecosystem. And what's really exciting is this advent and increasing understanding that it is alive it's a living ecosystem, just as you out, really are passionately articulately outlined. There's there's a ton of microbiologicals, but also nematodes and worms and um, vertebrate animals. You know, there's it's a huge uh, array of living matter in the soil, and so now it's the understanding that the interaction and the connection between the physical, the chemical, and biological properties of the soil. And another way to think about it is we actually know more about outer space and the universe than we know about the soil beneath our feet. And so we are now on this new cusp, this new dawn of uh, investment and exploration into the soil. And new increasing appreciation for our shared goal is protecting and maintaining the vitality of that living ecosystem because that is the – the soil is essentially – not essentially. It supports all terrestrial life, full stop. And so it it sounds big and daunting, but in reality, it's some basic principles that we apply when we think about how to protect that living ecosystem. And there are four basic principles, and you you can unpack the principles and get really technical on what they mean. Um, But they hold for forest management. They hold for pasture and range management. They they hold for cropland, cultivated cropland management. The first is to keep the soil covered. So you want to maintain some kind of protected layer on top of that surface of the soil. Protect it from the wind, from precipitation like rain, but also from the summer heat. You want to keep that, that, that soil temperate and cool because the, all that fungi and microbes in the soil you talk about are just like us. They actually like a cool, temperate climate. And when it gets above 90, 100 degrees, they get stressed out. They can become less efficient. And when it gets too cold... They get like us. It gets cold, uh, and they slow down their their activity. So having that residue layer is like a carpet and protects that soil from impacts to the weather, but also reduces heat stress. Secondly, um, the second concept is disturbance. To the maximum extent, don't disturb the soil. Many in this uh, field are talk about no-till, never-till. Tillage can still be a tool. It's still an important tool. Others, you know, are in this uh, soil health arena. There may be instances you want to be doing strip-till or ridge-till, or maybe some uh, cultivation may be needed. It's never-till, but it's trying to minimize disturbance because uh, when you disturb that layer of the soil, it does a lot of actions we can kind of get into that is bad for overall soil structure and performance for aeration and water infiltration. But again, it exposes that living matter in the soil to the, to the atmosphere, which is good short-term, but also long-term uh, leads to them oxidizing all the carbon and, and organic matter in your soil, which then releases that in the atmosphere. The third concept is to maximizing the living roots for as long as possible. So it depends, again, where you are in your growing region. 
Why does that matter? Because uh, the plants are transforming solar radiation into biochemical energy, into liquid carbon. And they take that sugar, and that sugar goes down to the roots, and are then ultimately feeding. It has a relationship with all the, the fungi and the microbes in the soil, and they are essentially feeding all that microbiological life. And in return, they get back out of the soil nutrients. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's an economy, an exchange of, of, of currency, and that currency is carbon. And so all that living matter depends upon living roots to feed. And when you don't have living roots, you don't have a, a, that supply chain, that, that avenue of, of the sun's energy ultimately being transformed into energy for the microbes and the life in the soil. And the fourth uh, topic or the fourth concept here is maximizing diversity. So if you have a steady diet, all you eat are Big Macs. Uh, it's not great for your personal health, and it doesn't allow for a more diverse diet and balance in that energy supply chain in the soil. If you have a more diverse food source, so if you have different root types that are exuding different exudents to that soil, it allows for a more diverse ecosystem. It, mm -hmm. it supports broader array of fungi, broader array of uh, nematodes and microbes, bacteria, which ultimately is really good for um, the balance in that ecosystem to help defend against pest disease or for ultimately ensuring better performance of that living ecosystem. And so it's those four concepts around keeping it covered, not disturbing, maximizing living groups, and maximizing diversity are the four essential principles that then you can apply to varying degrees based on, again, your performance, uh, your objectives as a business, where your growing region is. Um, and that's where the agronomy expertise really comes in. And it's, it's a journey. It's not something you just uh, buy in a box and deploy year one. It's over time you are slowly adopting each one of these different concepts and weaving it into your operation, ultimately with the goal to protect the function and the, the performance of the soil, which in return will overall improve the health of the soil long term. So, Jason, that's probably one of the best ways that I've heard it broken down before because a lot of time when you talk about soil health, everybody goes, well, i got to plant a cover crop and, and don't do any tillage. And, and it's like, well, I'm never... In my area, that is never going to happen um, just because we need tillage mm -hmm. um, for several different reasons mm -hmm. um, and the cover crops just won't survive. But when you split it into those four components, you go, hey, it's not about if you know that, hey, you maybe can't get a good cover, a soil covering with a cover crop. Well, what's the next step? Is it do we leave residue? Do we do different residue management techniques? Mm -hmm. Well, I know that I have to do some disturbance because of drainage issues or spring warm up issues to plant the crop. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm gonna do the disturbance, but can I do a better job with the diversity part of it? Right. So it, it's not about going, hey, pigeonholing yourself into here's what we have to do. It's can I look at the four different categories as you described mm -hmm. and what fits best for my management plan for right. where my acres are at exactly. to, to fit into that program. And mm -hmm. so I, I think that's a really nice way of, of putting it together and, and not saying, hey, soil health does not mean cover crops, no-till, and just going out and, and just planting different crops all the way across on 20-acre right. increments, right? Yep. It's about still large-scale farming, but put those into perspective and how are they going to fit in. Yep. And you can, over time, you can start on that journey at any one of those categories, and you can weave them in and adjust and adapt depending on the soils unique to that field or the slopes or the crops you're growing or mm -hmm. overall your equipment. 
it is not a, a cookie cutter, you have to do this or you're not, you don't have healthy soils. It's trying to identify out of those broad categories of a soil health system, adopting different techniques and over time, uh, adjusting the management and practices and, and learning. So it's uh, like you talk about cover crops. It's not um, – sometimes growers have a great experience year one. More often than not, you don't have a great experience year one. And so it's having – learning from that mm-hmm. first application, what happened, why would I have a bad result. Maybe you didn't terminate early enough or maybe it attracted uh, slugs or some other – surprises that were unfortunate. So it's learning from that and adjusting when you come back next year, maybe we dial back, don't do cover crops. What's another practice we can try first Mm -hmm. and then maybe take a run at cover crops in the following season. So it's a flexible approach. So the the one thing, and and I guess we get, like you said, we got way more information here for the time that we have allowed, but I got a few areas I'd like to dig in. But before we go there, can you, out of those four categories, could you give the audience, what are the big rocks? Like if you were, if you said, hey, I'm maybe going to try to implement one or two or, or three things, what are some big things starting off with within those categories that you think are going to make probably some of the biggest differences regarding the soil health? So to me, it's the soil disturbance and residue. And while depending on your soils, uh, you may still have to have some disturbance. You may need to, uh, for the spring, you may be able to warm up the soils. You do need to maybe um, have a disturbance or for drainage issues. But the, the harder you work your soils, um, you are overall imp- really significantly impacting the soil performance mm-hmm. and creating impermeable layers over time where it's going to make it harder for water to actually infiltrate down into your soil profile. It will make it harder for your roots to penetrate and get access to water and later in the summer or into the nutrients it needs. And it is uh, reducing the ability of the soils to aerate and get oxygen down into provide for that all that living matter below the surf of the soils to get the oxygen that, that ecosystem needs to function. And uh, residue, so leaving residue after harvest and uh, applying it evenly across the field. So as, you know, adjusting your equipment when you are um, – combining to ultimately your objective is to try and lay down that, that carpet of residue to protect it during the winter months. Those are two places to at least consider starting on the, the, that soil quality, soil health journey and adjusting your tillage as needed. Uh, so it is not flipping into a no-till or never-till system, but it's uh, dialing back on that level and intensity of the tillage and adjusting then as you see the results in your field edging increasingly towards a lower intensity tillage system, uh, to me, is a mm-hmm. place to start. And so I think part of, you talk about intensity of tillage, but I think the other part of that too is is timing of tillage and also soil. What's the status? What's the water status? Right. I mean, we might be able to maybe maintain the same intensity of tillage if we're going through and we know that the soil is well-drained or what, and have way less impact than something that of the different nature where we know there's water standing and we're still trying to do the tillage. And, and I mean, I'm just trying to relate to some of the issues that we've been dealing with here in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's just about being aware and being smarter of, am I really doing myself a favor here? Mm. Well, based on what I've known in the past, you go, well, maybe, but now knowing the different perspective on soil health and where we're taking it, what are some sacrifices that are being made? And I think that's part of the the problem that we don't really have enough information as growers to look at and go, well, yeah, I know I need to do tillage or I feel like I need to do tillage, but what's the impact if I do or don't? And I think that's where we could loop in 
the scoring mechanism to say, right. hey, this is where we can measure it now. Exactly. What's the true impact? And so all the concepts that I outlined up kind of earlier here around soil health um, are embedded in the Truterra Insights Engine. So we don't have a quote, quote, soil health score. It's an overall uh, stewardship score, kind of like think of it like a quarterback rating <laughs> for your field. But the concepts of minimizing disturbance, keeping it covered, allowing for diversity of rotation, um, and maximizing labor roots, those four principles are kind of woven into the Truterra Insights Engine and it are something we're really focused on trying to give the tools to producers and the, and the retailers and the agronomy advisors to go out and start to experiment and, and try out different practices. But beyond that, uh, we're also doing some pilot projects this year, which I'm really excited about, with four retailers, four of our owners. Um, so it's Frontier Co-op in Nebraska, Great Bend Co-op in Alliance Ag and Grain Co-op in Kansas, and Heartland Co-op in Iowa. And they're going to be starting this spring a precision nutrient management and soil health innovation trial. So we went and competed for a grant from USDA. And so we're going to be able to offer growers. They're going to be enrolling farmers this spring. And they're going to get three seasons where they're going to apply these practices. But it includes a core component of a soil health system is precision nutrient management. Mm -hmm. This is not saying you do all this and magic occurs. You no longer need a fertilizer false. You actually have to have really effective fertilizer management to ensure success in this kind of soil health system. And so these retailers are going to be offering growers an opportunity to learn in real time on their fields what a soil health and precision nutrient management system looks like. And we'll be tracking over three seasons the agronomy, the economics, and the environmental benefits of this kind of system. So we'll be learning alongside our growers in these these three states for retailers and giving them on their fields real-time impact and feedback. And then because we'll have three years, we'll be learning together. It'll be truly adaptive management. And you know, year one, if it didn't work out, how do we tweak? And then year two, we will have a new system in place. And by year three, the goal is then the, the, the producers, the growers will have that expertise on their fields. So they'll be able to apply it across their operation, but also hopefully be willing to share some pro tips with other growers in their community. Um, and these will be real live kind of knowledge fields where other farmers in the area can come learn and see this in, in real time. Mm-hmm. So I think that bleeds into uh, maybe talking a little bit about the uniqueness of the scores and, and how that brings into perspective the soil health. So I'll frame it up like this. I'm super intrigued with the four ways that you said, hey, we can we can start here. The, my favorite one, though, is third on the list. So I said big rocks, and you named the top two. So I, now I know that you gave them to me in order of importance, probably, right? Or at least in your mind. But my my favorite one is this, is this root growth. Mm-hmm. And here's kind of what I know and what I think about root growth. You talked about uh, basically the plant making photosynthesis sugars, right? Sending them down to the roots and the roots feed the sugars to the microbial environment, the soil, and get nutrients back. Well, we know a little bit more specifically is there certain sugars or signaling factors, and we call those flavonoids. That's one example. And those flavonoids are specific to trigger certain microbial interaction. And I find that super intriguing and interesting because based on the plant's needs, right, the plant is communicating with the soil. Mm-hmm we would have more or less um, production of a flavonoid that would then signal to the soil, hey, we need this nutrient or we need this microbe to to help us or facilitate here. If the plant is totally fine, it's going to 
say, not put any out. So you kind of go, well, gosh, that's really deep. Like, really, you're telling me that I'm going to fix all this stuff and, and this little thing you're calling a flavonoid is going to change the way that I farm forever. And so here's where it kind of gets put into perspective is you go, well, how does this scoring, how is it different then? And how will we differentiate, how does that differentiate um, one field versus the other? And what does that make for the standardization of that whole score within that soil health on just that one little example provided in that third thing down on the list? I know I gave you a big question there, but I think that's where we get is like, gosh, all these little things. And and we get back to this, like I made stewardship. That's just a big bulky conversation. And now I'm just diving in these little pigeonholes again. How, How do we bring that back up and make it real? That's not a pigeonhole. That's a wormhole. <laughs> yeah, you got turned <laughs> I, I love the fact you brought flavonoids up on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> man, I, I just, I'm having a moment here. So uh, <laughs> our score, to be clear, is not uh, scoring your flavonoid production. <laughs> but that said, uh, one of the things we want to get to, and this is where uh, why I'm excited to be part of Land of Lakes and in partnership with Winfield United and it's Winfield United's excellence around agronomy and into soil itself, we would like to, or we're exploring, I should say, what would be a soil health test that would be economic and maybe get on some of these principles you're talking about here. So it's beyond just this stewardship score we Mm -hmm. provide through our tool. It's a good proxy. It's a good indicator, kind of rule of thumb. But it doesn't get into the deep soil science that you're talking about here, which ultimately is about crop productivity Mm -hmm. and soil performance and function. So what would be a cheap... Uh, an economically viable, quote-unquote, soil health test that would complement the traditional soil fertility test that where you could go out and every five years go out and take, you know, pull a few cores in a field and start to see trends and change over time, but out of that also then get a soil prescription. So what's then the mix of practices following the four principles that this field needs? What's it telling you? Uh, maybe it's tillage, maybe it's not. Maybe it's uh, crop diversity. Maybe it's uh, a different fertilizer, or maybe it's an amendment that's needed. So, from that better understanding of what the soils are telling us and how the plant and the soils are talking to each other, we can come in then and provide a soil RX, a soil prescription that is uh, broader than just a traditional soil fertility plan. That's where we want to head. For the Truth Hair Insights score, what it provides is across your field, it scores each field. And so it's a score from 0 to 100. It's in 25-point increments from basic to moderate to high to advanced. And again, this is stewardship. It's not telling the producer you're a basic farmer because he'd be, he'd be blowing up 20, 250 bushel corn and be like, I'm not basic. Mm-hmm. Got it. But it's an indicator on if you continue to mine the nutrients and the carbon out of your soils, 5, 10 years from now, it may be hard to get that kind of performance in your soils. So how do you protect and nurture your soils? And with the scoring method we have, it will cross your operation. You'll be able to benchmark all your fields and see the diversity of scoring and maybe give you a better understanding. of You actually have some fields that are lagging, that mm-hmm. are underperforming. And then, okay, let's focus on those first. Uh, what's happening in these fields? Huh, that's interesting. I actually have a low NUE across this field. Well, why is that? Oh, actually, I have a soil type here that's highly leaching. Well, that's interesting. What do I need to do to attack that leaching problem? Well, then they come up with a precision nutrient management plan that then tackles that that leaching risk. So it's a flexible tool. It allows for 
at a high level insights and allow diversity in stewardship levels across your operation. It's not yet at a place where we're scoring your flavonoid production rates, um, but that's where we want to get to kind of next generation is that kind of level of testing and insights. The final thing I will say in our, our tool here, um, we also have a new capability we just rolled out. We call it Soil Insights, which we will be the kind of the chassis for this future soil testing capability. We want to build in partnership with Winfield United. And the Soil Insights tool today will generate a high-resolution erosion and soil carbon map for your field. So we on a 3 by 3 meter grid across your field, we use LIDAR imagery, laser imaging for get the topography. And then we're modeling erosion based on your current management. But then also we can live build different scenarios on, again, rotation, tillage intensity, residue, cover crops, and show the producer in real time what's that impact on erosion, on nutrient loss from the field, but also uh, across the field be able to visualize where is my field gaining carbon and where is it losing carbon from the soil profile. Hmm. Yeah, no, so that's a, I think that's a great segue into thinking about how a grower can follow up here. And from my experience, working with growers in the field that are trying to enter information and, and get a score, what's the process? And and I look at it like a, we already have all this information. So it's not like we're trying to get new measures, new tests. A lot of this can already be found. It's in the, it's just about entering into a a tool, mm-hmm. True Terra Insights Engine, and getting that information. So it's it's really easy, relatively painless, and it does a really great first step of, hey, we can get to a point and then take it to the next level if you're to that point right. or if you think that that's the direction we need to go after that. Right. So we have 22 retailers today that are, are connected and using uh, the uh, True Terra Insights Engine. So these are going to be a part of the Land Lakes Cooperatives Network of agriculture retailers, our owners. We're in 19 states, so the first stop would be to go to our website. It'd be www.trutera. Let me spell that. It's T-R-U-T-E-R-R-A, Trutera Insights. So two words together, .com. And there's a lot of information about how to get in touch with us to learn more about this tool and this platform. I would also recommend to your listeners, go talk to your retailer and say, hey, I'm interested in True Terra Insights Engine. How do I get access to this? And then future state where we want to be able to build is then uh, the capacity to provide services through a partner to a producer. So uh, we want to ensure at the end of the day that if a farmer that's you know part of the Winfield United ag retailer family wants access to the True Terra Insights Engine, we will be able to provide them that service no matter where they're at. Thanks, Jason, for being on. You have been listening to the Deal with Yield podcast. Today, Jason Weller, the Senior Director of Sustainability at Lando Lakes, and I have gone to look into the soil through X-ray vision. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed the show. If you did, please rate and review us online or on your podcast app. And for more episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and thedealwithyield.com. Snap away. (laughs) 